from the Auto Line Studios. Here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week, where we're going to take a step back in history, a 100-year-old step back in history, to cover a fascinating trip involving Edsel Ford and the Model T, plus a few others. And I've got three people to talk about that today, including Mark Gessler, the president of the Historical Vehicle Association, Matt Anderson, the transportation director at the Henry Ford. For those of you who don't know, that's the Henry Ford Museum. And we've got my friend and colleague, Mark Phelan, the auto critic at the Detroit Free Press. And great having you all here. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I give the audience a little bit of a taste of what this is all about. Mark Gessler, why don't you take it from there? Give us the thumbnail. Right now, we'll get into more detail. Sure. So, um, so in 1915, 100 years ago, uh, we identified that Edsel Ford had gone across country, leaving Detroit and heading out to San Francisco. He now, went, well, I'm going to stop you right there. Edsel Ford, the son of Henry Ford. Absolutely. And who had to be a very young man at this He point. was 21 years old at the time. And uh, the, the fellows that went along with him were all of his high school buddies. These were the guys that he grew up with and knew very well. And some of them had been home from college and whatnot. And they were heading out to San Francisco for a good reason. This was the site of the World's Fair. So this was the Panama Pacific International Exposition. This was the celebration of the Panama Canal being opened, which today is kind of a snoozer, but back then, hey, this was, uh, this was, their, this was their moonwalk. And uh, so the nation had been preparing for 1915, and there was a lot of publicity about coming to California, and of course most people went by train, but Edsel and his buddies decided to go buy a car. And they went by, um, they took a Model T. And um, two of his other buddies, the Book Brothers, um, famous here in famous famous here in Detroit, is on many buildings. Oh, absolutely! And they joined in a Stutz, and the other in a Cadillac. I presume they were all brand new cars. Uh, certainly, the the Model T uh, is a 1915 Model T, and doesn't seem to be excessively changed in any way, except for some some minor things. And they headed out across country, and it took them about a month and a half to get out to San Francisco. We decided that 100 years later, we would follow this exact trip uh, as best we could, uh, again, with a 1915 Model T, uh, except today we're 100 years later and looking to record the history and try to understand something about what that might have been like 100 years ago and what it was like with the birth of the American road trip. A hundred years ago was really the time that the road trip, the idea of taking an automobile for long distances to see America first uh, really started to happen. And this amazing, uh, this um, amazing set of archives that, uh, that Edsel Ford put together with his own photographs, in fact, almost, almost 200 photographs, uh, is probably one of the most well-documented early pleasure trips. They weren't out for publicity. There was a uh, Henry Joy, the president of Packard. He was heading across America on the the then you know very new Lincoln Highway, and uh, but he brought a film crew and everything along with him. Uh, Emily Post was heading across the country writing for Collier's Magazine. Edsel Ford and his buddies were there for pleasure. This great. was really kind of the first post-college, pre-adulthood road trip. This was a bunch of kids, who, guys who had grown up together, and this was their last chance to be just crazy kids, right? And then that's what it looked like it was. I mean, they, they rolled into every town. They stopped at the Ford Agency. They had some repairs to make and things like that. But, uh, and when they decided to stop and hang out and look around a little bit more, they did that. 
Matt Anderson, how do you fit in this? I gotta believe you're the one who's got the archive at the museum. Well, we, we've got a nice collection of material related to this trip. Uh, and so Ford was uh, an amateur photographer at the time, brought his camera equipment with him, so he documented a lot of what they saw and did there. Uh, we also have a series of telegrams that he sent back to his father and mother at home, you know, the typical thing, just like, we arrived here safely, all's going well. There's also an interesting string of uh, newspaper clippings and correspondence, because anytime these guys passed through a town, of course, they drew a crowd, and they would often go to Ford dealerships, unfortunately, because they had to get parts for the cars. They were always parts breaking off and tires were a particular problem. They, they'd go through three tires in a day, you know, and um, the owners of these dealerships would always send back letters to Henry Ford saying, you know, we met Ed, so what a fine young man. We had a wonderful time <laughs> with this gentleman. So I'm sure they were somewhat sincere, but probably another angle there too. Yeah. So Mark Phelan, you wrote the first story about this, if anybody. What really drew you to it? It was just so much fun. Well, first of all, the idea that just like young men finishing up with college before real life takes over, they went out for one last fling. And the fact that they did it in these ancient cars and they crossed the country and it was still a wild country at that time. I mean, there, there was a rifle scabbard on the side of the Model T because they didn't know what kind of animals they were going to run into. I mean, there, there were no paved roads most of it. it was, it, I mean, it, it truly was a great adventure and Edsel Ford himself is a, a character there's little, so little is known about by many people and seeing him just goofing off like a regular guy was absolutely charming, I thought. Mm -hmm. Mark, you, uh, Mark Gessler, you, you mentioned that they did not take the Lincoln Highway. Do you know why not? Because the Lincoln Highway, back in the day, that was, woo, that was really well, there something was a, else. There was certainly a lot of uh, good PR around the Lincoln Highway. Uh, but if you look at articles from the time, uh, most were suggesting the Southern Route, which was effectively the Santa Fe, the old Santa Fe Trail that was now stitched together as the National Old Trails Highway. And this is that related to Route 66? It is. In fact, that became Route 66. So in terms of the most iconic way to cross the country to avoid the severe weather and to avoid mountain ranges that you were going to have a hard time getting across, you took the Southern Route. And that is where the majority of the people... That is the, the route that the majority of the people went. And, of course, that is today the, the iconic American road trip known globally uh, as a place to go and still is an amazing set of geography uh, and just natural wonders that, you know, you just get this sense of expanse in this country that you can't get anywhere else. I, you know, I should have known it. I never put two and two together that it's actually one of the old Conestoga trails. It is. And, and in fact, what we also discovered on this trip was one of the original taverns that Edsel went to because we were trying to... You know, we we're trying to see if this, some of this stuff was still there. And in fact, this tavern uh, at Arrow Rock in Missouri was still there. And we met up with some of the historians there. And they said, this is remarkable. Uh, we love all these photos because it was this tavern that the Daughters of the American Revolution were trying to establish to save the old Santa Fe Trail route by introducing the idea that automotive tourism might be the way to to actually get people to put money and put this aside and to preserve this. And it was the first building preserved in Missouri and was used as an example for how automotive tourism was going to help save and preserve a part of our past, in that case, uh, the old Santa Fe Trail. And they went to some of the you know, famous physical attractions along the way, too. They went up to Pike Peak. They didn't take the Model T up to the top of Pike Peak, of course, but you know, they, they hiked the Grand Canyon. I mean, this was before the idea of let's go to see all these obvious big famous places. They, they went and hit them. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So the, the petrified forests, I mean, drove up right up to the great, right next to the Great Log, sitting on the Great Log, you know, uh, uh, there. And 
Well, we went out there and tried to do the same. And, of course, you can't get that close anymore. Uh, but we did go back to the El Tovar Lodge uh, at, uh, at the Grand Canyon where they stayed. Uh, they interacted with one of the you know, most, uh, most well-known photographers at that time. He was with them for several days, took photographs. None of that seems to be, uh, seems to be uh, uh, around anymore. But, yes, they went to all the great, all the great sites. And then they crossed the, uh, the Mojave Desert as well. And before they did that, they were a little bit concerned about marauders. They actually identified in the, in the diary that there was highwaymen. So they, they teamed up and they did what you should do, is caravan across in the middle of the night. Uh, well, uh, when we were in Kingman, Arizona, the next morning we woke up and, in fact, we had been, uh, our, our trailer with the Model T in it had been robbed. And... <laughs> And, and so, uh, uh, the descendants of the yeah. So I mean, we, I mean, we joked that you know, a hundred years later, they were you know, the guys were saying, you know, the next time a Model T comes through here, <laughs> we're gonna get it. Gonna so our chance, yeah, right. but I mean, there was uh, there was some ironies around some of the things that we that we ended up doing. But I guess the most amazing thing was going across country, mainly between the east and west, getting out to L- uh, L.A and mainly being on dirt roads. The original roads for much of the Santa Fe Trail, they're two steps removed from the major highway, are still there. And traveling along on those at 25 miles an hour, it was amazingly comfortable. I mean, the thing that I can, I can absolutely say after this trip is the Model T was pure genius. Simplicity takes genius. And that's what it is. It's absolute genius. And, you know, I, I now get a better appreciation. We were talking about the studs and the Cadillac. I mean, if you had a big car, what, what, where were you going? Where were you going at 60 and 70 miles an hour except the Speedway? I mean, you, you, it's not possible to do that. And these cars were heavy. When you got stuck, you needed a team of horses. We were able to push, uh, uh, you know, we were able to push the, uh, the Model T out of pretty much all the mud we hit and all the sand we hit in the middle of the Mojave when we got stuffed. But, you know, it's those kinds of things that you could really appreciate. Simplicity at its finest and what a genius Henry Ford was in developing the Model T. Well, and, and Edsel, he took terrific notes along the way. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I, that I was struck by in, in the journal that he printed out for all of his friends was how many times there were notes about uh, the Packard, you know, broke down, we had to put the Packard on a train, you know, yep. the Cadillac, you know, caught up with us after repairs, all of those things. And, and the, the Model T, and perhaps partly because the guy keeping the record was named Ford, but the Model T came out as clearly the car to drive if you were going to go a long way. Well, the, and, and I'll tell you, we're here, we're here to, to sing its praises. A uh, hundred years later, we crossed America. We went 3,600 miles. Uh, we had one blown tire, uh, and we changed out one of the wooden wheels, and that was it. Wow. And what we did experience, because, I mean, everybody's saying before we headed out, I, like, Gosh, I don't know if you're going to make it. Uh, we, I mean, we were confident uh, uh, that we would, but, uh, but at any rate, all the things that were done to the car that were, were changes to Henry's original design had to be essentially, if, if we could, ripped off and just put back to the old simple way, which seemed to work finest, the finest. Matt, you run the, the transportation part of uh, the Henry Ford Museum. What's the relevance, relevance to you of this trip being recreated? What's it mean? Because here you are trying to preserve the past, and now here comes Mark, and he's redoing the whole thing. Yeah, well, I think Mark gets to the point there very well that this really is kind of the start of the Great American Road Trip, and that's something we talk about in the museum rather extensively in our auto exhibit. But you go there, and you see station wagons or minivans. You know, to imagine doing it in a Model T, that, that took some courage. And you read those, those uh, diary entries from Edsel. They're running a 
along the railroad tracks, sometimes on the railroad tracks in certain cases, because there's just no other practical route through there. So, you know, we take for granted how far we've come in the development of our highway system, and now, you know, you can hop on the freeway and get there in, you know, a matter of hours instead of days. So it really is a tremendous change. Yeah, a month and a half to get across. Well, it, this, this was a big experiment for us because our objective at the Historic Vehicle Association um, is to share America's automotive heritage with the American people. So how do you go about that in this modern era? And how do we connect with the most people, with the most stories around our past, make it relevant for people today? And what we found is our, our work on the National Historic Vehicle Register to identify automobiles in our past, much like we've done for, for buildings, the Statue of Liberty, the Golden Gate Bridge, that's, that, that brings... Uh, some you know some focus to it but we did this on sort of saying okay what would happen if we did this and how would it resonate with the American public and we got a strong response that there was a lot of interest in it uh, all the way across the country we got you know great stories starting off uh, here out of Detroit but it brought people and saying holy smokes you know this is this is this is amazing that that happened I never knew that story it's an important part of our past and the Model T put America on wheels and when people got on wheels they started to see America and that's something that we hold dear as part of the fabric of being here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Mark uh, Phelan, as somebody who's you know been reporting on this from the outside, we'll get more from uh, Mark and uh, the other Mark in a minute. Uh, what are some of the? You, you've mentioned some of the things. The, the Great American Road Trip. Here's these young guys just you know before getting out of college and the like. Where were some of the other things that really stood out for you in your reporting? Well, I, I was struck by the fact, and, and Mark, I'm sure will elaborate on this, that the Model T is a much more comfortable vehicle to cross the country in than I would have dreamt possible. That, that it, it was not the torture trip that I imagined. As long as you're going at, you know, 1915 speed. Right, which is as, as much as you can do, basically. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I thought that was fascinating. And, and all of the different places that they stopped, the, the, the fact that you know, they, they met so many interesting people. There's this one you know, mysterious European countess who had a, a huge estate in Colorado, and she convinced them to go you know, camping and, and you know, riding horses uh, with her on, on the ranch for a while. And just fascinating a things countess. like that. A countess. A, a, a woman who, uh, if I recall correctly, she was a countess, she was an opera singer, and I believe she was the first woman to graduate the University of Vienna, perhaps, with a uh, license as a medical doctor. And she actually, she you know, married several rich old men and inherited from all of them, and she got the U.S. Congress in, I think, 1916 to pass a special law that allowed her as a female medical doctor to treat some wounded American troops coming back from the war. So it was just fascinating from one point to the other. And one great little story that I loved, I mean, Edsel's the photography that he took were amazing. But there was one little note in his trips about a night when they were camping out, and, and these were you know, the, the, the princes of Detroit society, you know, all of them. The, these were people who'd grown up in great luxury, and they were camping out a lot of the time along the way. And there was one night when they were camping out uh, in uh, New Mexico, and unknowingly they spread the uh, bedrolls and tents over a couple of nests of tarantulas. <laughs> and the tarantulas came swarming out. I hate night. when that happens, <laughs> right? <laughs> well, and everybody, except for one of the, the friends, everybody just buttoned up the tents and kind of rode it out until morning. One of the guys completely freaked out, and he went and slept in the Cadillac. <laughs> but I, I just, I loved that. And again, just the, the vision of these people as just guys going out and having fun and sort of creating the idea of the road trip, which became something. I mean, it, it's almost like, you know, National Lampoon. 
the, 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 listening and reading about this trip, all the stuff that happened to him. Matt, any any vignettes that stand out in your mind, well, too? Well, you know, we, we talk about them traveling, and they did camp a lot of the time, but when they could, they would stop and stay at a hotel somewhere along the way. There are stories of them staying to watch movies in the towns that they were passing through, and uh, Ed still traveled with his phonograph as well. So there's one story of them camping out at night once and hearing uh, you know, various sounds of animals and things in the background, so they crank up the phonograph as loud as they can <laughs> to try and scare off any uh, troublemakers. But, uh, Great, great fun, though. A lot of fun that they had on that trip. Mark, what gave you, I, I mean, you, you explained it a little bit, you know, that you want to bring history back alive for right. Americans to see their very own country. But what gave you the idea to do this trip? Well, uh, I, uh, we had known a little bit about 1915, and uh, it's one of those things when it all just sort of, sort of came together. Uh, we, were, uh, we were looking to identify something to do around, 19, you know, 1915 or, or something that would relate to that. And uh, I got a call, and uh, there was a, uh, a, f- a friend of mine was purchasing a home for the corp company that he worked for, and, uh, and he said, hey, there's a Model T down here, and uh, would you like to take a look at it? We're not interested. It's going to come with the house. Went down. It was, it was a Model T for sure. Uh, the folks had passed on, and the house was going to be uh, raised, and uh, we, we, as the HVA, received uh, this Model T, and it happened to be a 1915 Model T. And uh, we put all these sort of things together that I'd already known about what was going on with Joy. And then we discovered this wonderful diary um, that uh, the grandson of one of uh, the fellows who was on it received and then passed it along to uh, the AACA Museum, the Antique Automobile Club of America Museum. And we called them up and there it was. And I mean, as you see and take a look at some of these photographs, it's just uh, we knew that we had to do it. So within 100 days, we put this car together and put it out there and, and prepared the whole thing. So, yeah, people said, well, you know, you, you must have been planning this for months and years or whatever. No, uh, 100 days ago, it didn't exist uh, as an idea. But um, And all the better because uh, because it gave us the chance to sort of experience how to make it across. And I'll tell you the, the another little sort of interesting technical tidbit along the way was, how did you decide the route? Well, the route was decided based on Google Maps using the bicycle route, which we figure was... <laughs> the safest way to go. Uh, we didn't want to be on major highways, so we used that, and it tended to put us on the old path there. So we'd find that and, and correlate that and make that on a daily basis, and and to have the time to, to meet with people. I mean, the Harvey Houses, which was the backbone of uh, of hospitality across the country, an amazing story around that. Uh, so there's there's just layers and layers of, of, of wonderful stories about how America started to travel and how Edsel Ford was there as one of the first witnesses. And, and the Harvey houses that you mentioned, they were basically the first motel chain, right? They were the and first motel. some mot- of the buildings are still standing. They are still there, and they are being renovated. And, uh, the, and just learning about Harvey, because he put in his, the employees of the Harvey houses were young ladies, and he wanted them to be young, independent ladies. And the, the West was a rough territory. So, and literally in one of the towns, it was in Syracuse, um, uh, Colorado, that we identified, we talked to the historian there, and she said, the Harvey House was, was on one side of the street, and their dormitory was on the other. And there was a tunnel in between, because the whole idea was to keep these young ladies away from the young men or the older men at the time or whatever it was. It was a rough area, but, and, uh, but they were the kings of the hospitality. And, I mean, the Harvey Houses across America was the, was the entire birth of sort of our modern idea of hospitality, of a good place to eat 
and a and a and a nice place to put your head down at night. And, and those are yeah, those were built ahead, for the railroad, those those Harvey houses. So it's interesting to me that they're traveling using that infrastructure because there is no no hotel chains, there are no restaurants for automobiles yet. So we're in a very transition area at that time. I'm glad you said that because that was going to be my question. And you know, how could these hotels come before exactly. the yeah. cars and the tourists ever did? Yeah. But it was the railroads that Absolutely. they piggybacked right. on. Right. Just yeah. interesting. So they must have planned part of their trip to, to correlate with where there might have been rail stops, too. Yeah, it was all the major towns. And, and the, the old trails route had been published by that point. And it was, it was recommended that this is, no matter where you're coming from on the East Coast, this was the, this was the route that was preferred. The other, the other interesting from the time was Tiffany. The Tiffany Company in New York actually gave awards for cross-country travel. So if you went from one side of the Mississippi and made it to their office on the, on the opposing coast, you would receive a, an award. And these were silver awards, and there were 77 that were, uh, that were given out in 1915, and they did it through 16, 17, and then it sort of ended in 18. But, uh, you know, this was, this was, you know, this was news uh, uh, back then that you were crossing the country. But what California said and what the, the exposition said, the, the uh, Panama Pacific International Exposition said, was that they estimated that about 25,000 people came by car. Now, that's a little bit hard to believe, but maybe they didn't come f- by car from very far away. But uh, those that crossed the entire country or the better part of it may have been a few hundred, if maybe a couple thousand. And, and the World's Fair was also sort of the commemoration or, or the celebration of the fact that San Francisco had finally finished rebuilding from the earthquake and the fire, right? Well, and not only that, but it was a technological exposition and one of the best attended exhibitions there was, in fact, the Ford Motor Company, where they were making 18 Model T Fords every day. So they had a mini assembly line, and this was the first time that America could see a assembly line that they had heard about at work. So, uh, so we were making Model Ts there. So Edsel shows up uh, at the uh, at the World's Fair, and unfortunately, there's no photos of the World's Fair, which we've deduced was that you actually had to get a pretty expensive license to be able to take any photos on on the site uh, during that time. But uh, but yeah, they were making Model Ts there, and we're still trying to see if we can find one of those Model Ts, if it might still be around. Wow, wow, that would be truly historical yeah. to have one assembled at the, oh, absolutely. At the fair in San Francisco. Mark Phelan, you had showed me some photos before we got going on the show here, and I was instantly attracted to a Model T with what looks like wheels made with bicycle spokes, not the wooden ones. Tell a little bit about that story. It was amazing. They, they left with wire wheels, basically, on, on the wheel. They, they left uh, from uh, Dearborn, uh, the site of what would in a year or so be, become Henry Ford's uh, mansion, but it was just a farm at the time. And they left, and they're driving along, and they've got these new wire-rimmed, or wire-spoked wheels that they're testing essentially. And I think they made it, the first day's drive was one of their longest days, I think. They made it to Indianapolis, but the tires, you know, the, the wheels started getting caught in the, I mean, there was mud this deep on some of the roads, and, and, and the, the, the wire rims were, you know, wearing out, and they weren't, you know, uh, strong enough. So within a few days, they had basically stripped off all of those experimental wire-spoked wheels and replaced them with the wood ones. That, that was one of the things that they had to do at some of the Ford dealerships where they stopped along the way. But it was an engineering project in some ways. So this is kind of fascinating. They're actually doing a little bit of R&D for the Ford Motor Company along the way. Yeah. And it didn't work. Well, I think they were trying to make them as light as possible. And uh, and today, to get a new set of, of wood wheels made actually takes about better part 
of a year. So we were confronted with having the old wheels that we had on the car and, and trying to get wheels made. So we were very fortunate. Uh, you know, Coker Tire came through. They made us a set of wheels, but they didn't come in time for us to get them on. So we actually left here with wood wheels. We actually tried to get wire wheels, but we weren't able to get those in time. Anyway, only one of those wood wheels which may have been the original wood wheels, the original hickory wood wheels on it, made it 3,600 miles 100 years later. Wow. Unbelievable. Well, talking about engineering, too, one of the sort of myths about the Model T is because it had a gravity-feed fuel system, <laughs> you had to back up if you were going up a hill. You said you found out something different. Uh, yeah, so this, this yeah, seems... Yeah, I had always heard... No, you know, this, this seems to be an absolute myth that is repeated by everybody that knows anything about a Model T. You have to go back up, you know, up a hill backwards because, because the, fuel, the, tank was in the, the fuel tank was up here and your engine's down here and it's a gravity feed. So uh, you'd think that. So um, I can tell you, I'm here to tell you that uh, it, it's not necessary. Uh, the, the steepest hill that we climbed, which had a sign up as 18% grade, and it's at Laguna Seca, uh, there in Monterey. And 18% grade, I'll tell you, looks like this. And uh, that is more than you'll find that is any, more than any, any road. The maximum I think you find on a road is possibly 13%, 11%, 12%, something like that. And it, it went slow, but it went up. And if you've ever driven a Model T backwards, it goes slower than a crawl. So it, it would, you would have to be extremely motivated to go backwards up any hill. Now, when the tank gets low, yes, it could be a problem, and we did encounter that. But uh, you, know, you knew back then, as, you, as we know now, keep the tank full, and you got no problem. So here it is, 100 years later, this car is still you know, able to produce exactly how it did 100 years ago. It's an incredibly capable piece of technology, and, uh, and that's, I mean, that was the take-home for, for all this. Simple technology, incredibly capable. I thought I'd, I thought I'd have my teeth shaken out and that my back would be uh, in pain for months. None of those things happened. In fact, we were able to sleep in the back seat with our feet hanging over the edge. And I think the other thing is, is just the entire trip. I mean, this was, this was to celebrate technology in San Francisco, and here we are 100 years later. It's something of a modern metaphor for what is happening now. So uh, the Detroit to San Francisco move is happening with uh, technology centers. We were at Stanford. We were looking at some of the autonomous, uh, autonomous vehicles there, the solar cars the students were working on. But they were fascinated with the simplicity of a Model T and the joy to ride around campus in a 100-year-old car. That is so cool to hear. Mark, uh, quick, we're down to the very end. It took uh, Edsel and his gang uh, a month and a half. How long did it take you? 34 days for us, but we did, st we did stay for uh, five days for the Monterey uh, Car Week. So if you took that out, you can get across the country in a Model T in probably a little less than a month. But you should take, you know, you should take the chance to, to stop when you want to and take, take the time. So Good advice. Mark Gessler, thanks so much. Matt Anderson, from you as well, and Mark Phelan, as you, for you as well. And want to thank all of you for having tuned in.